Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. We have been in a sermon series entitled, This Is My Story. Many of you have been journeying with us uh, through the duration of that sermon series. We've been talking about how God uses story and narrative in Scripture to uh, show Himself and to reveal how He might uh, work in your life through demonstrated stories of the way that He worked in the lives of others. We've had some of our pastors and leaders share some of their own personal stories and the way that God has kind of brought them on their journey of faith and the things that they followed Jesus into as well, and we're going to be continuing that uh, this morning and considering uh, how the Lord would um, create maybe some anchor points for you and I as we continue into our own stories and our own journey with Him. The last book that I read to completion, uh, and I give you that caveat because some of you guys are like me, you start books and you're going to finish them someday, right? Some of you out here uh, are that way. But the last one that I recently finished is called The Saga of Hugh Glass, Pirate, Pawnee, and Mountain Man. And you're like, okay, it makes sense. You've looked more manly of late, Pastor. It must be the book and some things that you picked up in that. This is what I would call, I would call this an investigative historical biography. Hugh Glass was a real man, and he did live this uh, very vibrant and colorful life. If you watched the movie The Revenant uh, a few years ago, like that event was just a part of this man's uh, life. And this book kind of goes into investigating what really happened in that event and the whole scope of his life, because there are parts of his story that have become almost larger than life and have become almost like folklore in a sense. And so the book, if you're interested in that, that's the plug for it. But I've read that to completion recently. And one of the things that I noted in the book, like many books that you have read or were supposed to read in high school and you still haven't completed those, uh, each chapter began with a chapter title and then there was some type of quote. Oftentimes it was a quote uh, of context from the chapter that you're about to read. Sometimes it was a famous quote, quote that was being kind of superimposed over it. Uh, but there was always kind of this uh, lens for how you were going to move into that content. And if you think about a lot of books that you have read that would have like a chapter designation along with a title, there's oftentimes a starting quip or a quote or an anecdote at the beginning of a chapter. Uh, and some of those are there for humor, uh, depending on the book that you're reading. Sometimes they're just like a concise statement making a point, and like this is your one big idea that you're supposed to come out of that chapter about. Uh, some of them are very poignant statements that are causing you to like pause and to think and to reflect ahead of time. Maybe you're going to be reading something that has a little bit more depth or emotive impact. Uh, sometimes it's to just give you like a guide or an anchor point or a waypoint for how to go through the chapter and to receive the information. But they all are meant to kind of give you some context and understanding about what you're going to walk through. And I share that with you because for, for you and I, the, the life that we live, as we've considered it as a story being written, um, as, as we consider our lives like that, there are chapters that you have lived. 
Okay, so there are chapters that you have lived that have been closed. You're maybe in the middle of a chapter right now, and you're not even sure what to title it because of the confusion and the upheaval, upheaval in it. Uh, and there are things about your life that are yet to be written. And some of those things uh, may be your plans and purposes and kind of timeline for your life. And you're like, man, I know where I'm going. And some of us might be like, I don't know where this book's going to go, but I hope it doesn't go somewhere dark, right? That there's this unknown and this uncertainty to that. Uh, and what I would say is there have been times in my life when I look back at chapters that have been completed or when I look forward to things that are still yet unwritten or when I'm trying to make sense of where I am, that there are places where God's word has provided like that chapter statement that becomes kind of an anchor point or a lens to view and understand maybe what's going on in my life. And maybe you've been a Christ follower for a long time. Maybe you've kind of been a, a, an avid churchgoer or you've kind of bounced into church communities at different times and you've bumped into somebody who would say something like, hey, this is my life verse. I don't know if you've, if you've heard about that type of a, a statement. Sometimes in Christian circles, you'll bump into somebody and they'll speak about like a life verse. And, and what they are identifying is a, a scripture or a passage of scripture that God has used in a very profound way to actually shape who they are and to help them determine where they are supposed to go. That there was kind of like this chapter in their life where, yeah, there's the title and it was like awkward middle school years, but then there was like this anchoring way that the Word of God shaped them that determined the direction of their life or a place where the Word of God, or the presence of God, or the person of God interrupted that narrative and brought about maybe some of the surprise things that we talked about a couple weeks ago, or something that was formative or transformative in redirecting or correcting or setting them into different motion. And what I would suggest to you is that you and I, like we, we all face moments in, in life, both small moments and, and like really big moments where, where we need to hear the Lord speak, where, where we need direction. I bump into that a lot of times with people who they say, Pastor, I don't know who I am and I don't know where I'm going, and, and I need direction, I need help. And a lot of times they'll come to me or they'll come to a church leader, and that's a good place to go. They'll go to, to some of their friends or maybe more mature believers. If they're part of a connect group, they might enter into their community and say, hey, can you help me discern this? But there's a better place to go even than that, is, 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 and that is to the Lord, to go and to interact with Him for those things. And that oftentimes we're in need of like direction or correction or guidance or wisdom and all of those things we can experience uh, through the Word of God. And here's what happens when that takes place. When you're in a position where you need wisdom, and you have an interaction with the Word of God and the person of God that creates that need being met, there's something about that as an anchor point for how you go forward and how you continue to live your life that you always kind of reflect back to. Many of us would have as part of our conversion story, our born-again story, our I became a Jesus follower story, we would have maybe this moment of impact where it's like, man, I was lost and now I'm found, or I was dead but now I'm alive. Like, I found Jesus. I didn't even know he was hiding, right? It's like the where's Waldo spiritually or something like that. But we could say that there was this moment that something took place and we changed. 
And there are places where the Word of God impacts and intersects our life in such a way that the profound difference that is made, the certainty and the rise of faith that is given as a result of that becomes something that you stand on and that you anchor your, 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 your person and the direction of your life going forward on. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about that concept today. And I'm going to give you kind of three big buckets, note takers, for you to collect some of your thoughts. And the, the first thing that we're going to look at today is I'm going to give you two truths uh, about God's Word and about God's person. And if you are somebody who has grown up in the church, they are going to be almost simplistic. You're going to, you're going to want to, almost out of turn, maybe disregard them or kind of say, Pastor, I already know that. But I want to, I want to encourage you to, to pause and to receive it anew because there's a difference between knowing something in your mind and owning something in your heart. There's a difference between saying, yeah, I agree with that, and no, I know how to live that out. And I want to help you make that connection today. The second thing that we're going to do is I'm going to give you three examples of my own life, just three simple examples of my own life where the Word of God has done this, where there has been a verse that has been not just something that I've read and generally applied to my life, but it has become an anchor point and a foundation that has shaped the direction and the duration of my life as I've lived it with Jesus. And then after that, I'm going to give you maybe three steps. If you're looking for how do I kind of start to get into that groove? How do, how do I move forward into that type of motion? Some three simple things that you and I can either continue or begin to do this week that'll move us forward in that. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to pause for just a moment. We're going to prepare our hearts. Lord, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would speak to us through your living word today. Lord, give us open hearts to receive from it. Lord, that we would not just receive that truth, but we would receive it in a way that it takes root in our hearts, Lord, that it is brought to, fruit, uh, to like a, a fruitful end in us, and that we're able to walk it out and apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you've got your Bibles out, which you just had them up, I want to encourage you to go to 2 Timothy. Uh, actually, where's the verse? Go ahead and just throw it up there. Right, 316, there you go, thank you, because I didn't put the three in my notes, I forgot to correct that with you, Caden. But go to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16, it's going to be up there already, because um, I needed a little bit of help and prompt on that. But scripture tells us this about itself, which is really interesting. But the Word of God says that all scripture, everybody say all scripture, okay, so that's not leaving any of it out. So that doesn't mean that we get to leave out the part that we don't like or that we don't understand, Okay, all Scripture is God-breathed. Okay, important distinction. Not all Scripture is man-written. All Scripture is God-breathed. And it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All of God's Word has value. All of God's Word is useful, able to be discerned, and applied to your daily life. Not all of God's Word is easy to do that with, okay? Which is why we have people who are theologians, and we have people who, who go through all of the learned process of being able to kind of mine out some of those kings, because there's some things in Scripture that are difficult maybe to understand or apply to today. But all of God's Word is useful. All of God's Word is able to be applied, 
And what's interesting is that as you continue reading, it's not just useful for teaching, rebuking, and correction, and kind of redirecting your life, training in righteousness, but it has this result, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped, look at this, for every good work. This doesn't mean that we read the Bible so that we just are doing good. But this phrase of that they would be equipped thoroughly, that you would be completely equipped for every good work, it goes back to something that Paul says in another letter where he talks about in Christ Jesus, before the foundations of the world, that there were good works for us already assigned in Christ Jesus. It's the same type of language. And the language has less to do with you just being moral and getting your life together and more to you being aligned with the plans and purposes that God has always had intended for you and you walking into the fullest and fruitfulest expression of that. And so as Paul is writing to a young pastor named Timothy and he's reminding him about Scripture and its place in the life of the church and the life of the believer, he says all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for training in righteousness so that the servant of God can step into every good work. A good conceptual way to paraphrase this for you and I is that if we will take God's word and apply it to the way that we live, we will align ourselves with the plans and purposes that God has already designed for us. And that's an important for you and I to know, especially as a pastor in, in over 20 years of ministry, I've had conversations time and time again where people say, I don't know who I am and I don't know where I'm going and there's no plan and purpose for my life. And they're going about trying to discover that plan and purpose and do all of those things apart from God's word and its application to their life. And is it any wonder that they feel lost? I've had a lot of interactions with people in ministry over the years where they're doing a lot of things for God and they still, like, they still don't feel like they have a purpose for their life. But they're doing things out of their own strength and their own effort and they're not actually just applying God's word to the way that they live their life. And then I know a lot of people who can quote me a ton of scripture who in the way that they live their life and treat people, you would be hard pressed to believe that they ever met Jesus. They just heard a lot of the things that he said. And these things need to end up being aligned. We need to know the Word of God and we need to apply the Word of God. There's a knowing and doing element to the rhythm of spirituality that aligns us to the plans and purposes that God has for us as individuals and as a collective believing community. But I just want to start with this morning this idea that if you're in a difficult chapter of life right now and you're not really sure what the anchor statement is that's supposed to help you understand not just how to move through that chapter, but to do it in a way where you thrive. Because some of us are not in thriving chapters right now. Like our chapter heading would be like valley of shadow of death. It feels like I've been in that for a long, long time. And it certainly feels that way outside. It's hotter at least than that. But we can land on the Lord's Word being applied to our lives. That's a good place to start. The Word of God produces spiritual fruit in us. It aligns us to the plans and purposes that He has for us. In Isaiah chapter 55, God speaks this about His own spoken Word. He says, My Word goes out from my mouth, and it will not return to me empty. Can I tell you that God doesn't speak empty words, and the Word of God is not full of empty promises. 
The word of God goes out and it affects change and brings about transformation. There is life in the very word that God speaks to you from his word and by his spirit. And when we align ourselves with that and apply it to our lives, life is the result of it. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent. When God speaks, his plans and purposes go into effect, and they are not thwarted and they are not undermined. And when we take the word of God and apply it to the way that we live, we align ourselves with all of those things, and then we walk into the fruition and the enjoyment of that in our personal lives. And when we don't do that, we don't get there. And I found that to be true in my own life. Without having to do any type of inspection on you, I can from personal experience say that the places in my life where I have misaligned myself from just the simple things of what God says and how that's supposed to be applied to my daily life, I have drifted into places where I say, I don't know who I am and I don't know where I'm going. And I would usually end up talking to my dad, who was a pastor and still is, and he would say, what did God say about that? And I'd be like, oh, yeah, because the Word of God brings us back into that alignment. The other simple truth is this. God is personal. I'm going to say that again. I want want to sit in it for a second, and I want you to receive this. God is personal. All of Scripture is useful, and the author of Scripture is personal. See, there's a difference between reading a book and knowing the author. There's a difference between reading a book and sitting down and reading it with the author. There's a difference in reading a book or sitting down, reading the book with the author and going into a conversation about what was written. See, the one is going to yield more insight, more application, more understanding of motivation, and a greater understanding of who the author is. And the other, you just get the content from the book. Now, I want you to think about maybe your favorite book. And some of you are like, Pastor, like I have not read a book since it was assigned in high school, and I didn't finish that one. I know who some of you are. Think of your favorite movie. It was probably based off a book and not as good as the book, but at least you have a movie that you can think of. Okay, but I want you to, I want you to think about uh, your favorite book. Think about your favorite movie, maybe your favorite movie series. One of the things that's really interesting about a good book or a good bo- movie series is when there is kind of like this cult following that begins to happen around it where there's like this mini community that is birthed out of like this excitement for it. Think about maybe uh, Harry Potter. Think about like all of the Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, these things that are kind of like these epic, these trilogies or these anthologies. There's like this whole thing. And you know who you are if you're excited about this because you dressed up for a movie at some point, right? Some of you, not you, maybe your friends. 9.30 was, or 9 o'clock was full of that, uh, those, those kind of people. But I I want you to think about that. One of the interesting things to me about those type of sagas is when what is created out of that culture are what is called fan theories, right? Fan theories. They'll grab kind of a a chapter of a book or they'll they'll grab kind of part of a storyline and then they'll start trying to fill in the blanks. (gasps) What did they mean? What is this really symbolic of? 
And, and you can build these really intricate fan theories. You can find these about uh, oh, any real popular uh, book or movie series from Marvel again to Lord of the Rings. You can find all of this kind of stuff. People who are like so vested in this and they're coming up with these fan theories. And my favorite part is at times you'll get a chance to see an interview with an author, see an interview with a director. And at some point, they'll bring up some of these kind of obscure ideas and kind of ways that the storylines are going, and they'll say, what? there's all of these ideas. What, what did you mean by this? Why did you choose that word? And then you find out that it's because that's the one they knew how to spell, or they liked the way that that one sounded, or they didn't know there was another word to use. It was something like so inane that it was just like, I, like, why is his jacket blue? Uh, I was wearing a blue jacket when I wrote that chapter. Like, it's, it, it's not intricate or like you, there's no insight at all. And then sometimes there's these parts of stories, parts of movies, there's these things that are inserted there that until the author actually speaks about their intent on it, nobody had even the slightest inkling that that was there for purpose or reason that there's this little Easter egg or this little nugget or this little throwback to a friend that maybe passed away when they were, like all kinds of stuff that you'd never know unless you sat down with the author. And there are things about God's word that when you don't just read it out of duty, but when you read it with him prayerfully and you consider it, that it becomes more insightful and practical and purposeful in your life, especially when it aligns to a part of your life that is maybe disrupted. See, it's easy for me to read something that says to love my neighbor as myself. That takes on a different meaning and challenge when I'm having a dispute with my neighbor. And then if I had to walk through that dispute and really grind out reconciling and maybe even losing sacrificially to repair the relationship, then the way that I would think about that verse and apply it to other interactions, maybe not my actual physical neighbor, but somebody who sits next to me at work or somebody who I interact as a coworker or as a customer, all of a sudden there is a different way that that has depth and meaning and application. And I begin to love in, in, in a broader and, and more consistent sense as a result of that. Because I've had to process it out and have the Lord refine that into the actual way I live my life, not just what I say is a good way for other people to live. All of Scripture, all of Scripture is useful. The author of Scripture is personal. From the very beginning, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, where God is in the midst of creation and He walks with Adam and Eve the garden to the very end of the book in Revelation where the people of God are enjoying the feast in his throne room. He is present and he is personal. And what that means is, is that there is a way for us to study God's word and just kind of know what's in it and to just apply it to our life in the sense that we would any other self-help book. Or we can interact with God's word with him as the author. And it can take on a little bit more depth and application and meaning for literal, daily, or season, or chapter of life details where we can impact that. So what I want to do real brief is I want to give you three examples in my own life of where this has been helpful for me. 
where there's been something about God's word that he has interacted with me in a way that says, Ben, this is not just for you to know. This is for you to live and to live continually. Not this is just a good thing for you to know and to put into practice, or this is a a good way for you to align your life. Again, you can take any of Scripture and apply it practically and usefully and purposely, and it all has weight and value. But then there are things that God will do that will say, this is about who I've designed you to be, and this is about who I have called you to be, and this needs to be something that you anchor yourself to so that you do not lose your way. And I want to give you three examples of that. First one is in Zechariah chapter 4. Verse 6, but let me give you the backstory. When I was in sixth grade, I was uh, a student at a small Christian school in uh, Southern California, and my sixth grade teacher was named Mr. Kaminsky. It was a hard name to say, so we called him Mr. K. Mr. K was a retired police officer. He was a disciplinarian, and I can tell you I learned to do proper push-ups in that class because that was his greatest way to discipline us. And so I did a lot of push-ups, and I got jacked in that class. It was probably a great fitness regime for me because I was constantly doing those. But Mr. Kaminsky was also a man who knew God's Word. He was a man of prayer, and he knew how to speak the Word of God over and into the lives of others. And at the end of sixth grade, when I graduated, and we were getting ready to move from that school and to go into the middle school public school system, It was kind of a continuation for us at the end of sixth grade, and I was given a Bible. And in the front of that Bible, Mr. Kaminsky had written something that was being spoken over my life. And I don't have that Bible anymore, but I can quote almost all of it from memory. And in the middle of that statement about who he could see that I was being called to be and how the Lord was going to shape and use my life, was this verse that was quoted in a poetic form. And it was Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, and it just simply says this. It says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Now, in the context, it's in a minor prophet book in the Old Testament. You probably wouldn't get there on accident. You would have to arrive in this place on purpose. It's not something that you would just pick up and say, well, I need a little light devotional reading today. I'm going Old Testament and minor prophet. So this was something that I had maybe heard in different quip forms, but it had never been something that I had looked at or ever studied for sure. But it was something that had been spoken over and into my life, and it became an anchor verse for the way that I lived my life going forward. And in the context God is about to do something new in his people. He's going to do something where they are being returned to their identity. They're being returned to their, uh, to their land, and they are being restored as the people of God. And there's a move and a work that's going to be taking place, but God makes sure to pump the brakes on the leaders, and he makes sure that they know this. This will not be accomplished by your strength or your effort. This is not going to be something that is purposed by your cunning or your skill or your ability. Your resource isn't going to be what gets this done. I myself, by my spirit, will accomplish this. And what that did for me at a very young age was it took off the pressure for me to work for my own end and to perform for God's approval. It removed that. I knew that wherever God called me to be, whatever he asked me to do, however he, he led me through life, and in sixth grade, ministry was not on my mind. Being a pastor was the furthest thing from it. 
But I knew from that time that as I began to receive this and know that this was supposed to be something I set my feet on in the way that I lived my life, that I could trust God with the results and all I needed to do was be obedient. And that has served me very well. I've been in churches that have been up and to the right and down and to the left. I've been in churches where there's been people coming and where there's been people leaving. I've endured seasons of ministry that go up and down, just like life has a tendency to do. But what has not been shaken is my ability to stand faithfully wherever God has me and to be confident in what he's asked me to do. And I've had friends and colleagues in ministry have not been anchored that way. I have a close friend in ministry who every week, the way that he valued and believed himself to have value was based on what happened on Sunday. Because when he was in seminary, he had it drilled into him that fruit, God gets the glory for. But if there's no fruit, it's your fault. And so if there was a light attendance on Sunday, he felt like a failure in ministry. If somebody left his church, it was almost paralyzing for him. He could never see or recognize or believe that God would move somebody from his church to another for the benefit of that church or for the growth or development of that person. He could, he could never see it as God moving his resources because he had a divine plan. He saw it as he had failed. He was depressed almost all summer because when people would go to the lake, he would see it as he was a bad pastor and not that there was a man who was investing in the health of his family because he had worked so much that he had been gone too much. Like he couldn't see it or frame it any other way because he wasn't anchored on something that told him to just stay the course and that God makes the fruit. And so we had a conversation one time where he said, I don't understand how these things don't impact you. Why, 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 doesn't, why doesn't that bother you? And me and my friends, I've got a number of pastors in this community, we've all had people leave our churches to go to our friends' churches. And I've been here long enough to have people leave and then come back and say, I thought I was gonna be better, but this is it. My next move's gotta be out of the community, I guess. Like, we, we've endured that. Like, there, there's movement, like that... That has to be okay. But he, he asked me, he said, why, why, why doesn't this derail you? That's why. Because it's not up to my power, my strength, my cunning, my ability. It's not up to my programming, my personality. I don't have to dance or be liked. I don't have to perform for fruit. God makes things fruitful. All water I'll plow, I'll plant. Paul says that God makes it grow. Spirit of God brings the fruit. So I'm good. Here's the, here's the danger, and this is where I have people in my life who bring guardrails for me. It would be easy for me to look at the fruitfulness of ministry and to drift in my obedience. See, it would be easy to celebrate, look what I did, or look what we accomplished, and to begin to drift from the things that God's really calling me to do. And so I have guardrails. I have people in place to speak into that. They ask me the hard questions. 
Are you spending time with the Lord? I don't care how many people were there Sunday or how many people weren't there. Have you been spending time with the Lord? Are you prioritizing your family? Are you being honest with others? Do you have safeguards for emotional growth and health? Like, but it's easy to be in that place, or it's easy to at least police that because of this verse. Okay, second verse is one that came out of my own studies. It wasn't spoken into my life. It was one that I interacted with the Lord on on my own. Psalm chapter 75, verse 6 and 7. Another Old Testament verse, and it's not one that you would see necessarily on your verse of the day, or you would hear on the Christian radio, or get on your inspirational calendar. This is one that the Lord interacted with me on, and it says this. It says, no one from the east or from the west or from the desert can exalt themselves. It is God who judges. He brings one down and he exalts another. A couple things that are important for me in this verse. One is it's a reminder of God's sovereignty, the way that he uh, is, is able to exact and move in people's lives and in human history. But the thing that the Lord spoke to me when I felt the weight of this verse was this. You don't need to self-promote. And I knew what that meant. Because I was driven. Uh, I had uh, resource and means. I had a charismatic personality. I had different connections and places to leverage influence. And I was a young man who at the time, if I decided to, I could look to make my own way as a pastor, carve my own path through self-promotion. And God said, don't do that. And that verse that's been a weighted verse that has anchored me, I don't spend any time really looking back to ministries that I've been a part of and longing to be there. I've never had that I wish I could go back to Egypt moment as the Lord has moved me progressively on. But I also never look over the horizon wondering about what could be somewhere else. I've, I don't clamor. I don't invite. I don't try to draw attention to myself looking for bigger and better or different. Because the Lord has promised that if I would trust him, he will put me where I need to be when I need to be there. And there's been times where I've had friends that have pressed me and it has seemed that I have lacked ambition or it has seemed that I have not taken maybe advantage of opportunities. And from their perspective and their understanding, they would say, well, why aren't you putting yourself out there or why aren't you looking to, to maybe leverage this in that way? And I will tell you, this is why. Because I believe that the Lord has cautioned to me about my person that if I end up going that direction, I will go that direction alone. And so I've been very careful to not do that. And the cool thing about that is if this was not a verse that had anchored my life, and this was not a discipline that I had developed as a young pastor, I would not be in Sterling. If I was making my own way, if I was leveraging to what outside would say is maybe bigger, better, or prominent, like I, I wouldn't be here. And I don't say that for like your understanding or revelation. I say that for me because the 12 years that I have been here have been the best years 
of my life. Not just like fruitful ministry, they have been the fullest and most fruitful season of the whole of my life. And it wouldn't have been something that would have been crafted by my own ability. I wouldn't be here. I would have missed it. I would have missed what God has done in this church for over 90 years. I would have missed what I believe he's going to do for another 90. I wouldn't be a part of it. This community or you and the beautiful things that God has done and is doing and is going to do, I would have missed all of that because I would have promoted myself to the wrong place. And so that has been helpful for me. The third one, just as a way of example, comes from Malachi chapter 2, verse 7. And I remember reading this verse in Bible college, and I remember the weight of it when the Lord was like, this is for you, and you better pay attention to it. It says this, it says, For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. Now, when I read this verse and the way that I read it when it was uh, uh, translated in another translation, I can still memorize it and speak it out. It's, it's for the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction, for he is the mouthpiece of God. And I remember when I read that, and if you read the rest of Malachi, he moves from that to basically telling the spiritual advisors of Israel that you have misspoken for me. And it's a rebuke and a correction. And I remember when I read this verse, this is what the Lord spoke or impressed upon my heart. He said, you better watch your mouth. If you're going to go into ministry, you better watch what you say. You better carefully think and have regard for the words that you would presume to speak for me. And if you've been part of our church family over any real length of time, you may have noticed something. Maybe it wouldn't even be something you would be cognizant of, but as I draw attention to it, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, I, don't, I don't preach a lot about what's going on in the world. You don't hear a lot of messages here that are aligned politically or ideologically. You don't hear us speak very frequently about events happening in the world it's not because those things aren't important or they don't have weight or impact our daily lives. It doesn't mean that we're not learned or understanding or have opinions or can, can levy the Word of God into those arenas and say, hey, this is really a, a better way to do that. But we're very intentional about what we speak from the platform because we are to speak what God is speaking to our collective people. And so we're careful. All of God's word is useful. But what is he speaking to you and I today? All of God's word is able to be applied. But what do we need to apply today? All of God's word we should have hunger for, we should have understanding, and we should grow in that learning and discerning. But what do we need to learn and know today? And so it shapes I've had friends that based on community events and political wins have been drawn into arenas of speaking where they are almost uh, obligated 
to say something and do something. And almost in every one of those arenas, it has fractured their church. Because the thing that would draw all of them together ends up being set aside for the thing that's driving them apart, and then they're forced to somehow like choose a side. Which is ridiculous to me. It's like my kids coming and said, Dad, who do I love more? Or who do you love more? Right? And the answer is, whichever one is going to do exactly what I say right this minute. And not ask me for my snacks. Like, that's really the answer. But in those things, like those, those three verses, those are just three of many ways that the Lord has used his word to guide and direct me. And one comes from somebody speaking it into my life and me receiving it that way. A couple come from the way that I've dealt with the word of God and he has interacted with me. I want you to think, do you have a life verse or life verses? Do you have things in your life that have been more than just principles of God's word, but they have been guiding points, they've been anchor points? I would encourage you, remember those, write those down. Keep hold of those. They really are intended for you to stay aligned with not just the many things that could be done, but the things that you're supposed to do, the alignment of the person that God has created you to be and the plans and purposes that you're to be about in engaging in the life that he is writing for you. And then maybe you're like, man, this is kind of a new thing. Like I've always like read the do's and don'ts and I'm trying to do the do's and don't do the don'ts. But man, to think that the Lord would speak to me in a way that his word would be like, an anchor for my soul. Pastor, that's kind of new. Like, how, how do I get there? I'm going to give you three, three steps just this week. Either reminders for you to re-engage in your life versus, or maybe for you to begin a discovery. And the first one is this, begin with Scripture. Okay, begin with Scripture. If you've gone to church for any length of time, you've had some pastor who stood up in front of you who's looked at you and said, you need to read your Bible. Like, why? Pastor, why do I need to read it when you're going to tell me about it next week? Like, that's fine. It's good enough. Like, why, why do I need to read it when, like, nobody else around me knows it or cares about what it says? Like, why would I need to do that? Because all of Scripture is God-breathed. All of it is useful. All of it can be applied. And it becomes an anchor for your soul when there's nothing else there to hold on to. Begin with Scripture. Your second thing I would say is to develop a discerning ear to listen to the voice of God. You, you have to allow Him to speak. Which means that the way that I engage with the Word of God is not just I'm going to sit down, I've got 15 minutes to do my Devo, I've got to rip this off, and then I've got to go to work. If that's, if that's your, your practice, like I, I want to affirm that. I really believe that any of God's Word that you can get into you, the Holy Spirit can get out into your life. That's what Jesus teaches in John 14, 15, 16. But a better principle, if you've got 15 minutes, uh, read for three and then pray for seven. And then spend five minutes thinking about how it's going to impact your life this week. See, some of us know a lot of Scripture, but we don't live a lot of Scripture. 
And living it out will have more impact on your life and on those around you. And then the third thing I would say is to journal it, to memorial it, write it down, hold on to it. Just find a way to keep it. Find a way to keep it. Even in these three verses that I shared with you today, only one of them I actually knew where it was by chapter and verse. The other ones I had to go find, right? Thanks Siri or Google or Bible app, like whoever's helping me get there. Like I know a few of the words and I can meander my way there. But, but if the Lord is doing something in you, like you need to write it down. It needs to be something that you can refer back to because when things get difficult, like you, you never think about the anchor until the waves come and you need to stay where you're at. You never think about your footing until you're starting to lose it and you need a firm foundation for staying put. And so if you at least write it down and know where to go find it, you can get rooted back to that in a quick way. Church family, if you'd go ahead and stand, worship team, if you'd come forward, we're going to close with just a few thoughts. God's word becomes an anchor point for your life when two things happen. One is that when you know it, when you receive it, right? I can't quote you all of scripture, but I know those three verses and I know what they mean. I can apply them right now today. And God's word becomes an anchor point for you when instead of just knowing a verse and having it on a calendar, you've had a conversation with him and he's shown you how it applies to your life. All of scripture is useful and the author is personal. And so we receive his word and then we do it. We put it into practice. In Matthew chapter seven, Jesus says, anyone who hears his words and puts them into practice is like the man who built his house on a rock. And when the storms and the winds and the waves came, the house stood firm. And those who hear his voice, who know his word, but they just, they don't put it into practice in their life. They're like the one who build their house on the sand. And when things get tough, your house falls down. Psalms begins with this idea that blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord, meditates on it day and night. That means you know the word of God and you're applying it. You're being, um, introspective and being shaped by it. There's a conversation between you and the Lord on it. His delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. That man is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and whose leaf never withers. See, it's, it's knowing God's word and, and doing it. It's, it's receiving it and putting it into practice. And not in just a willy-nilly, rote, disciplined way, but in a personal way where we sit with the author and we say, what, what should I do with this? What insight do you have for me this week? And, and how, can, man, how can I take this to work? And the love your neighbor, God, I got that on point because my neighbors are sweet. But man, my coworker, how do, I, how do I get this out into my life? How do I, how do I be used by you to make a difference? Lord, soften our hearts today to our need for your word. Lord, give us a new hunger for it. Lord, not for like discipline, not for somehow performing for you, not for somehow just trying to be moral, but Lord, give us a hunger to know that your word is alive and it brings life. And that when we put it into practice, it aligns us with your plans and purpose 
Lord, forgive us for the times where we've been trying to find purpose in life apart from your word, purpose in life apart from your plans. Certainly, we're going to be frustrated and fruitless in that. So give us a heart to receive from you today. Lord, for my friends here who have had your word and your spirit impact them at times past, Lord, would you draw that to their recollection? Would they hold that in their hearts? Would they be reminded of it today? For my friends who have thirsty souls, Lord, who are longing for those things, give them the courage to take the steps to begin that with you. Lord, that we would have a heart for your word and we would make time to interact with you in it. And we would apply it to the lives that we're living in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Action steps for you this week. You can snap a picture. You can catch these up online later on this week. Number one, begin with scripture, right? Begin daily uh, or weekly or monthly, like just get started uh, on maybe a Bible reading plan or some type of discipline there. Number two, I want you to consider scripture. So don't just take time to read it, but think about it and interact with the Lord prayerfully. And then number three, respond to it. Journal, record it, write it down, and then look to apply it this week.